Father, we thank you for your work in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the gift of your word and of your spirit. And as we gather together in these moments now around your word, we are asking that you would speak clearly to us. Help us to hear what you have for each of us and for all of us. Help us to surrender to the work of your spirit and what you call us to this morning. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder, how many questions does the average dad answer in a lifetime? (laughs) Ever thought about that? Dads field a lot of questions, don't we? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, On the other side of that coin, I wonder how many questions dads avoid (laughs) in the average lifetime. You kind of can see them coming, and so you, you kind of sidestep them a little, maybe. Have you ever asked your father a question... And he paused for a second before he answered. Not the long, deep, reflective pause of, of, a, of a heavy, weighty situation and he's looking for the right words, but just like a little blip, just a pause, just that, just that second before he answered, like a, a video that wasn't streaming quite right. I might get in trouble with some guys here this morning, but I'm, I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit and tell you what might be going on in that moment. All right. Uh, when you ask your dad a question, there are things that are going on in here. And suddenly things start to happen. Dads have some decisions to make in that moment as you ask. You see, the first file that opens is the one that simply says, is this a moment for one of my perfect, clever, well-timed dad jokes? Or should I take this more seriously? Right? And that file we flip through pretty quickly. But then there's another file that says, I've got some decisions to make before I answer this question. Because you stand before your father and you're asking him a question and you think I'm just here answering, asking my dad a question. And your dad sees you and he smells that whole lineup of dominoes, those follow-up questions that lurk in the shadows behind your original intent. And he he can see that coming. And so dads have to make a very quick decision. Which road am I going to go down here? So for instance... If you come to your father and say, Dad, can I have this? Dad has to think in just a split second. He's got to process very quickly. If I go through door number one and say yes, there's going to be follow-up there because you're going to say, well, when? (laughs) And your mother's going to say, what were you thinking? Right? If he goes through door number two and says no, then you're going to say, well, why? And then we got that whole can of worms to deal with. Right? And so as Dad's processing that, Of course, magically, door number three appears, and your dad opens that door and says, Oh, we'll see. Right? Dads, we've been there? Yeah, we'll see. You might say to your dad, Dad, could we go to Wonderland for a day this summer? And your dad says, Hmm, if I say yes, you're going to say, Well, when? If I say no, you're going to say, Why? And we have all those discussions. So, back to door number three. We'll see. Door number three, on the shelf behind door number three, also live the gems, because I said so, and go ask mom. All right, door number three is well used by a lot of dads, right? We we tend to avoid a few things, and we can just smell stuff coming, and we can just work around it by these simple questions. Well, dads, there are questions we try to just sidestep in moments, if we're honest. But the reality is, if you and I as we're interacting with our families, if you and I anticipate a few questions and actually go out of our way, again, in an age-appropriate manner 
to answer the questions of why, why I don't do or why I do certain things. Why I don't permit certain things or I do permit certain things. The question of how. How do I go about making my choices and decisions? How do I view the world around me and my interactions with it? If we anticipate and answer some of those questions as we go, we might actually do a more thorough job of equipping and preparing our children for a lifetime of making their own choices and decisions as they learn that process. And so avoiding questions isn't always a good thing. Sometimes we need to just anticipate those and answer them as a way of trying to help our children move forward. Well, we've been walking through the last few weeks this series we've begun on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We saw in Acts chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago that the Holy Spirit and His presence is what makes a difference between one person and another person between one group of people and any other group of people. And it is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit that empowers and equips God's people to be the witnesses for Jesus that we're called to be. Last week in Acts chapter 2, we saw the arrival of the Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. We celebrated that last week. And we looked at the fact that you will not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and you will not be in the position to understand that gift that answer to God's promise to send His Spirit, if you don't first respond to His answer to His promise to send His Son, a Savior, a Rescuer, to come and and rescue us from ourselves and from our sin. And so we need to embrace Jesus first before we'll even understand anything that we've got to say and read here about the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning we want to continue on, and we want to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In us what does he do in us and to look at this this morning this is a large topic and again we'll talk about some things from another passage tonight but to address this this morning we'd like to go to the letter uh, a letter Paul wrote in the first century he wrote it to a group of churches in Asia Minor in the province of Galatia and these churches are spread throughout towns and cities in which Paul visited he introduced people to Jesus they became followers of Jesus he established some churches there He did some teaching there, and then he moved on. And now he's writing a letter back to them to teach them, to encourage them, to correct a few things, and to warn them about a few other things. And one of the things that he's been teaching them about and warning them about, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let me me not jump ahead too far, all right? Galatians chapter 5. Let's get to Galatians chapter 5. And here, Paul deals with the work of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about what we must do as walking in the Spirit of God, walking by the Spirit of God. He anticipates two questions. Why would we need to do that and how would we need to do that? And those are the same questions we have when we come to this topic, this critical topic in our lives. Why would we need to make sure that we're walking by the Spirit and how do we go about doing that? And Paul anticipates and asks them, and answers them rather, because they are so critical in the life of the follower of Jesus and in the life of the collected followers of Jesus, the church. We have to know these things. And so Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit's motivation, by the Spirit's power, by the Spirit's presence, by the Spirit's leading. And he, right away, he tells them why to do it, and how. So join me in Galatians chapter 5, if you would, this morning. 
Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16 starts this way. But I say, and we have to just stop right there. But I say, this is, this is a continuation of something else. This is a follow-through on what came before it. So we need to go back at least to verse 13. So look at verse 13. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What is Paul talking about here? He's been talking primarily in this letter about the issue of freedom. Of the freedom that we have as followers of Jesus. That we no longer live under the the law where we are trying somehow to achieve God's righteousness. To earn His favor through the keeping of rules. Through the keeping of of his, His rules, His laws trying somehow to do what we can't do to earn that level of of righteousness. We're free from that now. Now, as followers of Jesus, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at us, He sees Jesus. That's the amazing thing, and Paul's explaining this to them. But he's warning them about a few things. Because there's people that are coming into the churches in Galatia And they're followers of Christ, some of them. And they've got a Jewish background. And they're saying, well, now Jesus was Jewish, so you need to be too. And so it's okay to follow Jesus, but you must live by the Old Testament law. You must go back to the law of Moses. You must go back to the law of the Israelites and the Jews. And you must live like this. And instead of trying to help people become Christians and followers of Jesus, they are trying to help people become Jews and followers of Judaism. And Paul's warning them about that. Don't be enslaved enslaved back into that yoke of, of, of the law trying to earn and achieve God's favor and righteousness, something you can't do. But the problem is, whenever people experience freedom of any kind, it is often quickly misunderstood and therefore misused. Have you seen that happen? Absolutely. He says here in verse 13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That word translated opportunity, it's the same word for a a military base of operations. Don't use your freedom as the place from which to launch an assault on the world around you by which you establish yourself, you assert yourself, and you make it all about you. Don't do that. You see, when we think we're free from something, we tend to just run wild if we don't understand the full picture. Paul says you're free from this slavery to the law, this this futile attempt to try and earn God's favor through rules. You're free from, from that, but you are then free to honor God and to love and serve one another and help each other. You see, you're free from one thing so that you are then free to do the other. That's what's going on. And in verse 15, he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's a hint, and there's more to come along those lines, that maybe that is one of the desires and works of the flesh that the people in the Galatian churches were struggling with or most susceptible to at that time. And so we're back to verse 16. 
Paul says, instead of living that way, but I say, instead, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Instead of living that way, using your freedom to be all about you and try to, it doesn't matter what happens to anybody else, this is about me, life and everything else is coming my way. Instead, we're told, walk by the Spirit. Now, that's a command, it's not a suggestion. It is phrased as a command, walk by the Spirit. And if you're going to walk by the Spirit, walking, walking talks about progress, doesn't it? Talks about gaining ground, moving forward, not standing still. We're walking, we're moving forward in this. And the grammar here is something that is continuous. It's not go for a Sunday stroll and then be done for the week. It's all the time, wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, every day in every situation, walk by the Spirit. Continue to walk by the Spirit wherever you go and whatever you do. The question is why? Paul says, because if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what is the flesh? The flesh, I I, I would describe it this way. The flesh is the toxic combination of my sinful and selfish heart and the desire for the here and now and the immediate, my drive, my desire, my demand to have what I want, to experience what I want, to feel what I want, to do what I want, to enjoy what I want, to achieve what I want, to all of those things right here, right now. And when I take my sinful, selfish heart and this demand for the here and now and I put those together, look out world because everything's all about me. That's, that's the flesh. And Paul says the reason we walk by the Spirit is so that we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why not? Well, he tells us there in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says you can't can't do both. You can't live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and gratify the desires of the sinful nature because they are completely opposed to each other. They're incompatible. They, they just, they're just completely incompatible. They're going in two different directions. They have a totally different nature and motive. He says the Spirit is working so that you don't do what the flesh wants. And the flesh is working so that you don't do what the Spirit wants. Anybody live in that battle? Experience that? Absolutely. And Paul says you cannot stay neutral in this. You must surrender to the Spirit. And then as He leads, there is a significant, substantial, observable victory over the flesh that comes into our lives. And He says if, you, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. More external rules will not help the situation. We need to surrender to the Spirit and walk by Him. And then we'll not fulfill the desires and gratify the desires of the flesh. So we're here this morning and we say, Paul, that makes total sense to us. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh because those two are incompatible. Gotcha. That's good information. But the next question is, how? How? Have you ever wondered that? How am I supposed to walk by the Spirit? What does this look like? Well, Paul continues on in this passage and he tells us what this looks like. And he tells us in two ways. The first way is he tells us what it doesn't look like. So look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says the things, that, 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 the gratifying, the, the, the desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh, those things are evident. They're seen. They're clear. You, can, you know what they are. He says, I'm going to give you this brief list because, you know, you, you, could, you could make the list. You understand what those things are, these works of the flesh. You understand that? They're obvious, so I'll just give you this quick reminder. But he comes behind that reminder of what they are with a warning. He says, I'm going to warn you now, as I warned you before when I was with you, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Your translation might say those who practice these things. See, the word do there that's translated do, it's this continuous doing, this, this habitual, ongoing action, these things that define and characterize my life. When these things are the habitual practice of my life, when these things are the pattern of my life, it is showing that my heart is not His. When I continue to live day by day in every situation, for me, it shows I'm not His. And that I have no part in His kingdom now or waiting for me in the future. That's what that, dem that demonstrates. And so if, if my life looks like this, then I am not walking by the Spirit. And if I'm not walking by the Spirit, I'm not in the kingdom. So that's what it doesn't look like. All of these types of things that we read. Now he then goes on to say, here's what it does look like. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He says, now look at this. This is what it looks like. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, these are not things I achieve. This is not a checklist for me to work through. This is rather a description of the Holy Spirit. This is who He is. This is what He does, and this is what He produces when He's present in my life. It is the evidence of His presence. It's like fingerprints or DNA or, or security video at a crime scene that all prove He was there. That's what this is. This is the evidence that the Spirit of God is there and resonant and active and at work. Now I need to show you that in verse 22, Paul does not say the fruits of the Spirit are. As though you can separate these out into different categories. And you can separate these out as all individual, like you've got a tree with an apple, a pear, a peach, an orange, and a banana on it. That's not how this works. It's not like, like they're all different diamonds on the same ring. They're not individual. He says the fruit of the Spirit is. This is all one thing. This is the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's like taking one diamond, holding it up to the light, and just turning it and looking at it through all the different angles. That's what this is. The fruit of the Spirit. This is his evidence in my life. Hmm. Paul goes on to say, 
against these things, there's no, such, there's no law. We don't need a system of laws or a list of rules to produce the right attitudes and actions anymore. Why? Since they rise from within by the Spirit. Now, they don't rise from within because they're yours and because they've been hidden and they've just been covered up and they need to be unearthed and, and unleashed inside of you as though you were good in and of yourself. That is not the case. We are by nature objects of wrath. We're rebels against God. There's nothing good in us. All of our righteousness comes from Him. And so these things come up from inside. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there. The Spirit of God lives there. And so He produces these things. The Spirit produces fruit in us that the law could never create. If you look at both of these lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, you'll notice something. They both tend to focus on these issues. My view of myself, my view of others, and who's number one in my life. My view of myself, my view of others, and who's number one in my life. And so Paul says we need to walk by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the sinful nature, but rather surrendering to the Spirit and asking in every situation, is this going to reflect the Spirit and demonstrate His fruit and His presence in my life? Or does this point to me? Is this one about me? Is this one gratifying the desires of my sinful nature, saying, oh, but I want to feel good, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. But I want to look good, so I'm going to go ahead and say that. What, what is it? Which is it? We need to ask if my words, my attitude, my actions reflect the Spirit or reflect me. And then, when they come into the light, those motives, we say, I'm going to surrender this to the Spirit. I'm going to walk by the Spirit and do things His way and allow Him to produce this character of Jesus in my life. Now, that brings us to an interesting question. You might be visiting with us this morning, or maybe you're a regular here, and you're hearing all of this, and you're looking at these lists, and you're you're saying, Steve, come on. You know that churches are full of hypocrites. And the Christians I know sound a whole lot more and look a whole lot more like that first list than the second one. What do you do with that? My answer is this. First, if that has been your experience in dealing with people who are calling themselves followers of Jesus, I am sorry. But secondly, I have three things that I would like you to process and think about going forward. The first is this. Followers of Jesus are not perfect. They're just forgiven. Not perfect. Just forgiven. We still sin. There are still moments in our lives where we turn and do things our way and say, no, I want to gratify the desires of the flesh in this situation. And we run and we do that. Our righteousness is not our own. Any good in us is His. Our righteousness is not our own. And there are still moments when we sin, and what happens? We need God's forgiveness, and we need the forgiveness of each other. 
Boy, does that ever happen. That happens in our lives. And we come to God for His mercy and His grace. Mercy that says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve for that. And grace that says, I'm going to give you what you could never earn instead. And I will forgive. And I'll help you move forward. So the question is, not does this person do this, but did this person do it? So for instance, well, this guy, he says he's a Christian and he does this. Well, hold it. Does he do this or did he do this? Does he do this as the continuing pattern of his life and, and just the, the, the practice of his life, generally speaking? Or in this instance, oh, did he do this? See the difference? Well, she's like this. She does this all the time. Hold it. Is she like this? Does this describe the pattern of her life and who she is and her interactions with others? Or did she do this? And in this instance, boy, did she blow it. And she needs forgiveness from God and others and to carry on. There's a difference between the pattern and the instant, in the instance of sin. Someone's only a hypocrite if they do one of two things. If they pretend to be a follower of Jesus when they are not, And if they deny and pretend that those kind of instances in their life never happens, it's just everybody else's. I'm fine, thank you very much. It's everybody else that sins and has a problem. That's what makes somebody a hypocrite. So I want to remind you this morning, have you think about that. If you're saying, well, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not pursuing Jesus. I'm not interested in any of this because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, listen. Followers of Jesus are not perfect, just forgiven. Secondly, not everybody who goes to church is a follower of Jesus. That's just true. That's just the fact. Some people go to church out of habit. Some people go to church out of just some kind of a cultural thing. Some, for some people, it's a family tradition. It's just a routine. Not everybody goes to church as a follower of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says in verses 15 to 20, you want to know what's really going on in somebody's life? You have to see their fruit. You will know them by their fruit, the pattern of their life and what their life produces. You'll know them by their fruit. Don't just listen to what they say. Watch how they live. And you'll know whether they're the real deal or not. He also says right after that, that there are going to be people who get into eternity and they stand before their Creator, as we all must, and they'll say, I'm home! And He'll say, who are you? Well, what do you mean? I went to church all the time. I was active in church. I taught in church. I was a leader in church. I was engaged in my community. I was active. I was nice to people. I was the best neighbor going. And He's going to say, I never knew you. You were putting on a show out there, but you didn't deal with me on my terms here. So I encourage you today, if you're struggling with thinking that the church is full of hypocrites, followers of Jesus are not perfect, just forgiven. 
And not everybody in church is actually a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 24. Paul says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Earlier in this letter, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. This is not about me. My life is in him. He now says, if that is true of me, then I have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I have put these things to death in my life. So if I'm not about putting those things to death in my life, what does that tell me? seems to tell me that I don't belong to Jesus. Not everybody in church is a follower of Christ. The third thing I would like you to consider is this. If you're struggling with that whole issue of, well, there's hypocrites in the church. We're not perfect, just forgiven. Not everybody in church is a follower of Jesus. And finally, do not hide behind a hypocrite. Eternity is at stake. Step around them and come meet Jesus. And be right with God through Him because that's the only way you can be is to come and stand in the righteousness of Jesus and surrender to the one who stood in your place and took your punishment for your rebellion against God. Eternity is at stake. How tragic would it be if you gave up forgiveness from God, peace with God, and eternity with God because of a phony. Don't let that happen. Don't let it happen. If you're dealing with that whole struggle with the issue of hypocrites in the church, we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. Not everybody in church is a follower of Jesus. Don't let a phony keep you from being right with God and experiencing forgiveness and life in Him. If you have questions and you want to talk more about that, I'd love to sit down and talk with you sometime even this week. Talk to me at the door, send me an email, give me a call, and we'll sit down and we'll just talk, talk through some of these issues. But Paul is talking here about who actually is walking by the Spirit. He says we need to so that we don't gratify the, the desires of the flesh. He says, we do it by surrendering to the Spirit's leading and by crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. And then finally, he wraps this up with a, a brief appeal to us here. If you asked your dad this past week, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? He might have said something like, oh, nothing. I don't need anything. Now, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? I want time with my family. That's what I want. No, dad, dad, dad. What, what do you really want for Father's Day? Well, how about meat? <laughs> meat in one or many or several of its glorious forms. <laughs> and if you want to take it to a new level, cover that thing in barbecue sauce and follow it up with cake or pie. <laughs> you know, that might be what dad's after today. You know, help him out. It's his day, right? Feed the guy some meat. But if you keep pushing, especially when we were younger, we would ask our dad, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? And you know what he would sometimes say? Well, this might show you a bit about our childhood. <laughs> He'd say, be good and get along. 
be good, and get along. Our Heavenly Father wants similar things. He wants time with us. He wants to be the priority. He wants time with His children, with His people. And then He says to us, be good and get along. The purity of His people and the unity of His people are two things that are very close to the heart of God from beginning to end of time and Scripture. Those are two issues that just keep coming to the surface. They're important to Him. And the beautiful thing is God does not leave us on our own to try and do these two things that we just can't. We cannot be good and get along on our own. So verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's the purity of our lives. And verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, if we are in fact those in verse 24, who are in Christ, belong to Him, and have crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires, then let us also walk by the Spirit. Keep up, walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. There's the unity of God's people. Walking by the Spirit produces purity in our lives as He produces His fruit and unity in our lives. How can the Holy Spirit in me fight with the Holy Spirit in you? God's Spirit is at work in God's people so that we will honor God above all things and in all things and that we will then help and love each other as we walk through life and ministry together. So my challenge to you is this. Start every day. And then all day throughout the day, keep on asking the Spirit of God for direction in every situation, for wisdom in every decision. Say, fill me, Spirit of God, fill me. This needs to be about Jesus and not me, and you're the only one who can do that. Fill me today. Fill me in this moment. Use me. Use me for your purposes. Shape me to be more like Christ. Continue to call out for His work as His presence is evident in your lives. Spirit of God, produce your, your fruit in my life for the glory of God and the good of people. Amen? May that be evident in you, in me, and in us for God's glory alone. Let's sing together.